Hey guys, welcome back to another uh, Coach's Roundtable. It's been a couple months, uh, so glad to get everybody back on. So Brandon and Jer, uh, good to see you guys again and uh, love whenever we get to to do these chats. So looking forward to it. Uh, Brandon, real quick, man, up in the Northeast, how's the, uh, how's the air up there? You're not getting your steps in outside right now? Uh, I am not, honestly. And here's the issue. I'm having to go to a gym because I ended up just breaking my walking pad. Uh, my my motor gave out uh, <laughs> as of uh, yesterday morning. Absolutely. I think that's what it is. Um, this is the first time I've actually had that that go down, but it's just coincidental that I'm currently stuck in like this, this smog, which is coming from like the fires in Canada. And literally like the outside of my place looks like, like almost like you see in LA. It's a, it's, uh, very interesting. I'm asthmatic to say least. And so it's, it's not really good air quality for myself. And so I'm doing my morning walks, you know, a quick one outdoors just to get some sunlight exposure, but I'm doing most of my stuff indoors or I'm going to, you know, the gym. Uh, luckily I have a, a convenient gym membership that I've gotten just to do cardio in the mornings when I'm, I've been dieting. And so, uh, it's a five minute drive away. And so I hop over to uh planet fitness of all places and I just get my steps in, but it's so early that there's no one in there. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's been interesting out here because a lot of people, you know, uh, uh, unfortunately, most people will focus on the negatives in life and they catastrophize everything. So it's like you see people, you know, obviously I, I have a lot of followers as well as I follow a lot of individuals in my network that are in the Northeast. And it's like every single post is about this. And it's like, guys, you posting about it is not going to do anything to alleviate the issues that we're dealing with. And there's people that are probably losing, you know, their ability to be at their houses because of these fires and this, that, and the other. I always try to think of like the positives in life and what else could go wrong rather than what is currently bothering me. You know what I mean? It's, it's nor here nor there, but I will say that because my, uh, my walking pad went down, I already ordered a treadmill. It's on the way. So that will be coming in and replacing this thing. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't have a backup one ready to go just in case. You know, what's interesting is that I actually have a storage unit with all of the equipment that I bought from my previous apartment and with a lot of the stuff that I had uh, from my previous apartment that I didn't move into my new place. And uh, the one thing that I left, actually two things I left, I left a stationary bike and I left a, a walk, like a treadmill um, just because I didn't want to bring in. I didn't have the space to uh, get another, I didn't want to get another movie get to move those things over. And um, now I'm regretting it, but Hey, it's, it's allowed me to uh, get an upgraded version. And now I'm, I actually am getting a treadmill rather than a walking pad. So this is a little bit of an upgraded version. So I'm looking forward to putting a lot more mileage in this. This has a lot more ho- horsepower and also it has a higher weight capacity. And I think that's what I burnt out the last one with <laughs> because I had to realize that the weight capacity was 220 pounds. And in the morning, fasted with no clothes on, I'm under 220, I'm, you know, around 200 pounds. However, once I get a pair of shoes on, I put a sweatshirt on, I have food and fluids in my system. I'm like 210 or 215, you know, throughout the course of the day. So I was kind of just wearing at that. And especially during my building phase, when I was about eight to 10 pounds heavier than I am now, I definitely went over that limit. And I think I burnt it out without even realizing. Yeah, I've seen some pictures, man. It freaking looks bad um, up there. Definitely not great for the lungs to be out in, in that. We get, we have a little bit here in, in the Midwest, but nothing like it is up in the Northeast. Jer, what's going on, man? How's uh, everything going uh, on your end of, of things? Man, things are going good on my end. Yeah, similar to what you were talking about. I have both my walking pad and my treadmill behind me in my office so I can do my incline walking to get that heart rate up a little bit more every morning with my fasted cardio, but I like my walking pad better for just everything outside of that. But so much better to be able to like do it in front of your desktop. And like I've just been like working through J3U during my cardio rather than just like staring at my garage door. So that's been great. But yeah, man, um, things are going good on my end. What we are just over three weeks into the mini cut now, Brandon and I uh started at we got one week left. I started at 203.5. As of this morning, I saw 193 flat. So how it's gone for me is every week it's been, and this is pretty normal for me at Pat Loss, like every week my my weight will stay pretty damn sticky for like five, six days. And that's what I know. It's like I've nailed the meal plan. I haven't missed all my steps. I've literally just been following the meal plan exactly. So like it can be confident that's not the case. But then it's like about six days. And it's also funny, Brandon, we to record our podcast about the Wooch Effect here just a couple of days ago also. But then it's like, it'll be like same weight, five, six days. And then it'll be like a two pound drop. And then it's like another two pound drop, right? It was like, like before my check-in yesterday, I was stoked because I think I hit nine, 194.7 for yesterday's check-in after being at 196 flat all week. And then it was like another pound and three quarters, basically. So that's been going well. Excited to wrap that up and get into the next phase. But yeah, man, um, what we're heading home this weekend for Katie and I's wedding shower back in Nebraska. So um, 
that'll be fun. And yeah, that's basically it on my end. Well, yeah, I can tell that you're adding to the office, man. Got some got some new uh, chairs and stuff back there, and and so it looks like that's ever expanding uh, as well. Yeah, I think I think I've had those for a while. I just have a couple more treadmills back there than I normally do. <laughs> a couple more treadmills. I love it. What's going um, on with you, dude? Uh, well, just like you, uh, we just found out that you know me and you are getting married like a week and a half apart. So that's kind of crazy. I thought uh, you were gonna say you guys were pregnant. But, yeah, that's <laughs> that also cool. That that I kind of did. Jeremiah, like do you have somebody to tell us? Because uh, <laughs> just, you know, I hope not. <laughs> um. So so we got we got that going on, and so like. I wanted to make sure that I, you know, we're, we're going, we're, we are going to go on our honeymoon, uh, like right after. So we'll be in November, we're going to go to Hawaii. And so I wanted to, you know, I've been in a building phase for, I think I, my last photo shoot was like at the end of April uh, last year. So it's been about a year now. Uh, and so I was just like, all right, it's time to go into a cut. So I'm going to start an actual longer term cut. I did like one mini cut for like four, six, like four weeks or so, a couple months ago. Um, so I'm going to be going into a cut, wrapping up the building phase, just been training, pushing training. You know, that's for me, that's one thing that I think for a little while, like I've always known training, you know, is super important for building muscle, right? Like that's, you know, but I feel like maybe for a little while, like obviously nutrition, you know, sleep, all that stuff is super important, but I feel like sometimes I'm, and, and I made this mistake, but like, and, and I feel like I see a lot of people make this mistake, but it's just like training is just so important. Right. So I think trying to like, make sure that that's in a good spot, um, you know, whether that's meal timing, whether that's, you know, just making sure that I'm focused in my training sessions, I just feel like that gets underrated in building phases. And so, you know, just making sure that's in a good spot and I'm able to progress. That's been, been super uh, important for me, but you know, as you guys yeah. know, it's like the longer you do this, it's like, it's less about setting PRs. It's just about going in there, getting the work done and just staying consistent with it. And there's just something that I think after a while, you just kind of enjoy that, that aspect of it. And so that's just kind of what I've been doing. And then, like I said, I'll, I'll go to the cut um, and do that for a couple months and just try to get lean. I'm not going to get shredded or anything like that. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get shredded before my wedding. I just cause you guys know, it's like in clothes, you know, you start, you know, you're wearing long sleeves, you're going to be wearing a, a suit or a tux. It's like, I don't need to have like the only thing that's going to be noticeable is my face being super lean. So I don't need to get shredded, but obviously on the honeymoon, you know, I want to, you know, look pretty good. And, uh, so I'll probably drop about 10 to 15 pounds and, and just get to the point to where it's like, you know, I don't want to push the the fat loss too much. And, you know, once hunger starts getting there and like training starts to really go down the drain, I'll probably uh, cut it and just give myself like a month before the wedding. So that's where I'm at. Brandon, what about you, man? Yeah. So, uh, honestly, it's, it's been a couple months. I actually looked up right before we got on the line. It's been since March since we have gotten together for a round table. So first and foremost, good to be with you guys. It's been far too long, but, uh, since, you know, the last time that we caught up, I believe, you know, I, I know from the timeline perspective, I was still in a building phase, uh, the last time that we connected. So I ended up finishing an eight month building phase. And now I'm about four weeks into a six week mini cut, which has been going great, honestly. And, uh, I initially entered this mini cut, not for the, the sake of getting shredded or anything. Really what it was, was I'd gotten to the point in my building phase where I was starting to see some of my health metrics. You guys know I'm huge into tracking health metrics and I do this in a constant basis and have been doing so for years. And I started seeing some of them trending in a suboptimal direction. Things like my blood pressure were increasing, my resting heart rate were increasing, and same thing with my facet and postprandial blood sugar levels. And so really that's just a result of pushing food for a prolonged period of time, being in a surplus for eight plus months, as well as pushing training. You know, I'm, you know, really driving that sympathetic nervous system into overdrive. And so I've been using this mini cut phase to really improve upon those metrics and also, you know, drop some of the body fat off that I had accumulated throughout that phase. And um, everything in that perspective has been going really well. And then other than that, just personally and business-wise, everything has been going really well. Uh, I was telling you guys off air that, you know, really this has been, it's almost a year that I've went full-time online coaching. And honestly, I'm getting to do every single day what I love to do. And that's working with clients one-on-one. -on -one. And unlike other years where I've had a corporate job or other responsibilities where it's kind of diverted my focus or taken up a, a large time constraint, essentially, you know, this year has really been all about building my business, really connecting with clients and really you know, raising the standard of my services that I'm providing for them and just helping, you know, each and every client that I work with become a better version of themselves, including Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah has come a, a hugely long way in terms of our, our time working together. And we have a lot of plans going forward. So I'm, I'm really loving that portion of 
what my career has turned into and really the direction I've been in. Cause you guys have, have seen me since, you know, I've been doing online coaching on the side and we were just talking about this off air. A lot of people look at this as a side hustle and I never, you know, initially I did look at it like that. So I, I won't lie and say I didn't, but even the last few years, I've looked at it as a second profession. However, just the fact that I've been able to eliminate the corporate entity, the responsibilities that came along with that have allowed me to go all in on this and really raise the standard of everything from my education to my skill set to my application to everything that I do within clients and even the relationships that I build with them. And it's really allowed me to do something that gives me my greatest sense of purpose as well as a great sense of fulfillment. So it's it's been a blessing in that. And I know off air we were speaking about the fact that a lot of people are trying to chase like too many rabbits. It's almost like the the advanced client or the advanced trainee that's trying to body recomp. It's like, dude, you've been in the gym 15 years. Like the fact the the likelihood of you getting shredded and building muscle without anabolics is really Really slim to none, unless you haven't been nailing everything for a long period of time, including your training, your nutrition, your stress management, your sleep quality. But if you've been doing all of that, the fact that we're going to try to chase muscle gain and fat loss at the same time, probably not the best usage of our time. Let's focus in one direction. The same thing can be said about a lot of coaches. Like they have their hands in all these different pockets. They're trying to like be a business mentor. They're trying to, you know, be a coach. They're trying to do other entities, work with supplement companies, this, that, and the other. And then other things like just completely, you know, unrelated side jobs just to try to make money. And it's like, they're kind of hindering their ability to be the greatest coach or the greatest, you know, essentially build the greatest business that they can. And I, I can speak on that. And this is not from a judgmental perspective, but I can speak on the fact that I worked within the supplement industry, within the sports nutrition industry, and it still hindered my ability to grow a coaching business, although it's extremely related. And so, you know, a lot of times we really need to have faith in ourselves you know, and really go all in and take a risk. Anything worth having in life has costs. It has benefits. It requires sacrifices. You know, for every gimme, there's a gotcha. And um, really, I think it would benefit more people if they were to believe in themselves and go all in on something that they truly think is what they're meant to do. I couldn't agree more with all of that. And I think um, even stuff like multiple offers, like I, for me, I think like the more you can have a singular focus on doing one thing as best possible. And for us, it's one-on-one coaching. I think the more you can just be laser focused on that again, the better, where if it's even like, okay, well now we're going to offer group coaching and I'm going to have like sell these eBooks and shit like that. I feel like all that just distracts from you being like the best you can possibly be at this one thing, which again, I, I think it's just required to stand out, right? It doesn't just happen by accident. I don't know. I don't have any other thoughts on that past what we've already discussed, but. Well, I mean, Jerry, we've had these conversations before where like, you know, I asked you about, Hey, should I do this? And, and you were just like, I think you should just do one thing. And and so I've, I've been there. Like I've, I've had that I've gone through it where it's like, oh, I should add this in. I want to have multiple sources of income. And it's like you said, it just waters down. And like I had, I don't know, probably like September, October-ish. I just was like, okay, what's going on? Why is my coaching business not growing like I want? And then it's like, well, I'm freaking trying to do all these different things. And so that is a big reason why, right? And I just take it back to, you know, with clients, I tell them like, okay, you're trying to do too many freaking things, but it's like, I was doing the same thing, right? So it's it's easy to, I think it's, it's when it's you, it's it's tough to see that you're trying to do that. but going in, going all in on one thing is just super important, right? I know, I know it can get boring, but it, it is so important if you really want to grow it. So, you know, I can relate to that and, you know, it's happened to me personally. So uh, one thing I want to talk about before we go into the the um, questions, just curious to hear how you guys are doing this. I know obviously there's been a ton of research coming out on like, you know, lengthen, uh, lengthen work for hypertrophy. I'm sure that we've heard, you know, just it's all over, all over social media. So I'm curious if you guys implemented into your training at all. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on that? And yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll take the lead on this one because I'm actually programming it or I did program it for Jeremiah. So I'll speak on it first. And Jeff, if you remember, we went out to the PEC last June. It was actually a little over a year ago. And during that, that um, essentially one of the presentations, it was one of my mentors, Dr. Scott Stevenson. And in the crowd, I brought up length and partials. And a lot of people, you know, even friends of mine were saying like, Dude, you're doing, you know, lat, you know, one arm lat pull down length and partials. Like they didn't see the purpose in it or they didn't see the intention behind it. And it was because A, there wasn't as much research as there is now on the benefits of the length and position essentially or being in the stretch position. But this is actually something that I integrated into my own training in January of 2022. So there's about a year and a half that I've been utilizing this technique and I've only done it 
in certain phases, and I've only done it with very specific clientele. So it has been my more advanced trainees where I'm really trying to eke out progress, or it's been with individuals that I've trained with in person. So a great example of this is Anthony Scalza, who Jeff, you had the opportunity to meet, and actually Jeremiah introduced mm-hmm. you to him as well. So you know, um, Anthony is an IFBB pro. He's been at the top level of the sport. He's a very advanced trainee, 15 plus years into training, and really the last three years that I've been coaching him, we've tried many methods, and I have so much data on this individual. And also, many times he will travel out and meet me at conferences. So in the case of last year's PC in June, he came out and flew out and actually stayed with me. So that whole weekend, I took him through length and partial. So during those questions, I was actually, you know, going back and forth with Dr. Scott Stevenson, who I have an immense amount of respect for uh, in terms of his knowledge on training, nutrition, and all aspects, honestly, of the sport. And uh, it was just to try to reinforce some of the things I told Anthony and get some more of the um, I guess, data on them that we had at that point. And, you know, really at that point, we really only had the Pedrosa study, which is the leg extension study where they showed that there was more hypertrophic outcomes from the bottom range, at, you know, partial as compared to even the full range of the leg extension. I believe we had a Mayo study, which was the uh, leg curls, which showed that uh, the stretch position and being in a seated hamstring curl was more hypertrophic for three out of the four sites of the hamstring as compared to lying hamstring curl. And the only benefit of the lying hamstring curl in terms of hypertrophy was to, to the sartorius. And so at that point, I think we only had two studies, even when like Milo came out with um, Milo Wolf, who's a researcher out in the UK, he came out with his meta-analysis. I believe there was only four studies at this time. At, at this point, we have about six studies on this topic. So length and partials is something that I've utilized both with myself as well as with other clients, but it's something, it's only an extension of something that I've done previously. So for instance, I Dr. Scott Stevenson has been a mentor of mine for years. He has a training system called Fortitude Training, which I believe came out in 2014. Even before that, there was something called DC Training, which was um, really brought to the forth uh, by Dante Trudell, who was big on the boards. I, I grew up reading his stuff. And they used to do forced um, or, or essentially uh, holds in the stretch position. So these were uh, essentially at the end of a rep, you would go to failure and you would hold in, in essentially a stretch position. And so the length in partials is essentially a, a derivation of that. And so I've been utilizing that, especially with my my back movements. Uh, I've done it with my chest movements as well. And usually I'll utilize it at the end or the last set of an exercise for the And, and generally what I'm doing is I'm utilizing it on isolation movements. So for instance, I'm not going to do it if I'm doing a chest, like I'm not going to do it if I'm doing a barbell bench press. Mm-hmm. Although I will do it on occasion, if I'm doing something that I'm able to get out of and it's it's more safe. So like a dumbbell incline bench. I'll do it on that, but oftentimes I'm doing it on like a fly movement. I'm doing it on a unilateral lat pull down. I'm doing it on movements where I'm braced first and foremost. And then also it's something that it isn't um, deleterious in terms of an injury perspective. So it has been something that I've utilized myself. It is something that I, I trialed with Jeremiah during the end of his building phase. And we did so, you know many weeks of it and it was really able to get now thinking like, for instance, I'll give an example. Uh, Jeremiah was doing like a sternal uh, cable fly. And so we utilize it at the end or a sternal cable press rather. And we utilize uh, length and partials at the end of those sets because he had failed in the shortened position, but he still had more juice and lengthened. So I saw videos of him doing that. And eventually throughout the course of a mesocycle progression, I implemented that into his training. And every week we would aim to progress. And this is how I do it myself, either more partials or I even did a partial and then into a hold. So it would be essentially a, a uh, weighted hold at the end of the at the end of doing partials. And then I would hold it in that position for, you know, generally I would aim for about 30 to 60 seconds. Yeah. Um, that's I've of course experienced that firsthand with Brandon. And that was really my first time messing around with a very effective um we were doing it for both my sternal cable press. And I had like a seated cable chest fly as well when you're using it for both of those movements. So similar to what you said, I've been adding that in with um, a couple of my more advanced clients only for like if we're specializing in specific muscle groups. So I'm thinking of like one of my clients, Phil, he's really specializing in lats. Pretty hard for, and I'm, I'm again, only using it on short and overload movements. I've heard, I like, I know Milo does, like he just kind of hangs out in the length and range. I haven't really messed with that yet. Um, but like in like lats, there's not that many lengthened overload movements. So, um, a lot of good options there. And then I have another client who like, she's specializing in, we're using it on her quads and really just using it within a leg extension, of course, not like doing it on hack squats or anything like that. Um, so it's, it's been like, since we introduced it in my program and it's been something that I've been using with 
a couple clients. Um, with like how I program it, I, I know we started out just like with it across all of my, like when we implemented it, it was basically, we got to like my zero to one RIR week. And then if I remember correctly, my zero RIR week, it was kind of like, now we're implementing like the partials. Um, for some of my clients, they program a little bit differently where like right from the start of the mesocycle, like let's say across three sets, we're doing like two, we're, we're doing three sets of the movement. I'll do like two, one to two, one RIR. And then I kind of look at from there, like looking at their logbook, the pump, the disruption they're getting on each of those movements. Then I'm kind of looking at like, okay, I can add a setup to failure or multiple sets to failure if I want, or like more volume to that movement as a way to increase the stimulus from there. So I don't always use like the same system we use where we're like progressing RIR across week, but I've kind of used like lengthened partials as an extension of that. Um, but only on, so not necessarily on all sets, like, Hey, maybe on your final set of these lateral raises, we're going to do lengthened partials, for example. Um, so I've been experimenting with bringing that in pretty early in the mesocycle as well, but yeah, that's more or less how I've been doing it. How about you, Jeff? Like, I know you've been working with Brian, who's kind of a pioneer with all this stuff. Yeah. So he, he originally had me doing, it was more like what, what you were saying there, Brandon, uh, and, and Jared, where it was like, you go to failure and then you would add in like a couple partials. So like on back, it would be like, you'd go to failure and then you would, um, you know, just get a couple partials in that, in that length and position. Right. Which I, which I think is a great application of it because, you know, like, I feel like the, the delts and like the, the back probably benefit the most from this stuff because, you know, something like a, like chest press or like shoulder press, like stuff like that. Like we already, you know, if you train through a full range of motion, you're probably going to get most, most out of it. Cause you're already training in those lengthened positions, but sometimes like the, the back can be tough because it's like that hardest parts at the bottom. So it's like, you're missing out on, on some of that, you know, the, the, the length and work there. So I feel like back definitely is one where it's been super helpful, but yeah, he, he did, he was doing it that way um, where we would add in some partials there, like towards the end of a phase, you know, as you're progressing RIR and then it's like, a, I think that's a good way to add in some, some volume um, without having to, you know, do another like straight set. And then he also did what basically, so like on back stuff, I think it was mostly back. I don't know if we did it on other exercises, but it was like, Hey, add 20% from the last set. Uh, and so he calls it like a partial rep or partial rep match set. So basically you, you match the, so like on that pull down, you're, uh, you're adding 20% from your second set or from your first set. And then you're, you're matching however many reps you had on that first set with a combination of partials and full reps. So, you know, you add 20% weight. So it's like you get maybe two, three, four reps, and then you get like five partials uh, essentially. So that was another way he was incorporating it. But now I think as more research comes out, he is switching it to where like we're doing just, he'll, he'll we'll still do some of those, but also adding in um, the j just full on length and partial sets where it's first set you're doing, you're doing full reps, right? Full range of motion. Second set, you're doing 60 to 70% of the range of motion. So like face weight cable curls, you're just, you know, you're doing your regular weight. Second set, you're just doing that, that length and position at 60 to 70 uh percent of the, the range of motion um so he's been incorporating that i like it for the triceps i have found that for my elbow i've just my left elbow has just been bothering me for for a long time um just not anything bad just think think some tendonitis just wear and tear and like when i do the tricep cable work stuff i really start to feel it but by doing these length and partial sets i really feel like it's I've, it's helped me not feel that as much. So it's been helpful there. And I know like some of the research with length and partials that you do need to be careful with like the injury risk because you're training these and, you know, sometimes in, in a stretch position, but I have found it to be a little bit better for, for some lifts. So I like it. I think it's super interesting. Uh, it seems like it's a pretty safe bet. Um, it's just how you want to implement it all. And like you said, do you want to implement it for newer clients or do you want to wait for more advanced clients? I think, you know, that's up to you at this point, if you want to do that or not. Um, and I guess kind of wait to see more and more research come out on it. So. No, it's super interesting. Jeff, I, I do have a question for you. When he has you do sets that are just lengthened partials, are you increasing the weight automatically? So right now, so this is the second week. So far, I haven't had to, um, but I think you do need to consider that. Like you do need to, you know, still still keep your RIRs, your like guiding kind of factor there in terms of like if you need to add weight, like or or whatnot. But as of right now, I haven't really had to add weight, which is which is kind of interesting. Um you know, I think it depends on the lift and where it's hardest at and things like that. But so far, like on faceweight cable curl, faceweight cable curl has been the only one where I've really been able to add to do more reps, right? Like my first set, I'll get like eight to 10 reps. And then like on the second set, when I do the partials, I get like 10 to 12 reps. That's been the only one um, so far when we've done that. We, I know we're doing it on tricep work, bicep work, 
he just added it into some delt work. So that's really been it on that. So yeah, kind of my experience there with that. Yeah, because the reason I ask is because uh, the Pedrosa study, when it came out, I believe it was 2021. So it's been quite a, a long time since I read through it, but I'm usually pretty good at retaining facts over here. So uh, I believe they did increase the loading parameters for that, because if we think about a full range of motion, it's going to be most difficult in the shortened position for leg extension in this case. So when they utilize the uh, lengthened range or the lengthened partial, they utilize a heavier load to try, you know, essentially equate for it. And then the same thing when they did the shortened partial, it was a lighter load essentially, uh, because it is going to be more difficult. So I was just wondering there, because really, if we think about it, a lot of times, uh, you know, depending on the strength curve of a muscle or of a, of a movement, we are going to be stronger in that, that length in position. So I would, for a lot of movements, probably uh, increase, you know, especially if it's like a lat movement or something of that sort, I'm going to be stronger in those, you know, say that it's per 60 to 70% when I'm not going, you know, into a fully shortened or contracted position. So I would, you know, increase the weight uh, just to have, you know, more load essentially and make it more difficult. So I'm not, you know, utilizing the same load that I would be utilizing in a full range of motion and then doing, you know, 30 reps because, you know, it's, it's so out of the, the loading parameter. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest thing. It's just, I, I still try to follow RAR as best as I can. Right. If it's super easy, it's like, all right, now I know I need to, to add weight, but so far I haven't had to. Um, but like you said, back definitely makes sense. I feel like to where you would definitely want to load that a little bit more. Cause it's like, you, you could get away with, with more weight, not having to go all the way down. So cool. Any, any follow-ups or anything, uh, with that? Are we ready to get into the questions? Cool. All right. So first question, I think this is, I, I feel like this goes kind of hand in hand. It's a good segue is thoughts on the new training to failure research. And Brandon, I know you brought this question. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you to start. Absolutely. So I just want to make a point. This is going to be my interpretation of this research study. We're going to discuss a preprint, which has yet to be published, but it is from the guys from Data Driven Strength who do some incredible work, especially from a research perspective. And it is out of Mike Zerdo's lab. So I just want to note the date. I believe it's it's six eight. They have yet to talk about this besides on social media. So, you know, I, this is my interpretation of the study findings to this point. But as they've even said on their social media pages, this is subject to change based on the publishing. And we know that preprints, they don't always get published in the same manner in which they were written in a preprint, but these guys are pretty spot on. So really when it comes down to it, um, this question was in reference to the new study on the dose response relationship between estimated proximity to failure and muscle hypertrophy and strength, which was just released as a preprint from the guys from data-driven strength, as I mentioned. And this was essentially a meta-regression, which found a dose-response relationship between estimated, and I want to really you know, put a key on that, estimated proximity to failure and hypertrophy, meaning as we get closer to failure, we see greater hypertrophy outcomes. And what this study or this meta-regression looked at was estimated you know, estimating the reps in reserve or proximity to failure, because many of the studies that they had and they included, if you actually look through the entire study findings or the entire meta regression, they actually didn't directly report an exact RIR. So this led, you know, the researchers, the guys from data-driven strength, Zordos, and that whole team to have to estimate based off velocity loss and things of that sort to, to really get a more approximation for what was the rep in reserve cutoff for these different groups and then to do a comparison. And I think really when we look at the, the findings of the study, it just reinforces the fact that on the stimulus side of the training equation, training closer or to fail, you know, close to or to failure will drive a greater stimulus. And also that we should be pushing ourselves to failure during certain points within a trading cycle to maximize the amount of stimulus we get and also to recalibrate our ability to accurately gauge our reps and reserve targets. However, like the biggest thing was I, I got this question from a listener who listens to like all the podcasts that we do. And he kind of brought up some other people's posts, which both of you know, I'm not a huge fan of like, you know, targeting other people's posts and their interpretations. That That's just, I'd rather put out good content and just speak about my own opinions and, and what the data shows. So I read this study myself, but um, you know, there's a lot of hot takes regarding this study on social media. And I think when you really look at like what the study found and then their interpretations, you could tell that they're misinterpreting part of the study and they're interpreting it as though we have to take every single set to failure. Like all these individuals in like the failure, you know, train to failure crowd were like, you know, saying that this was like a vindication of their thoughts. And it kind of disregards the fatigue side of the stimulus to fatigue, you know, ratio. And if you do take every single set to failure in every session, not only will that disproportionately increase your fatigue levels, but that increase in fatigue can impact your performance on your subsequent sets within a session. But then also when we think about it, it has downstream effects on subsequent sessions. So like your later workouts within that week. 
And what's really going to happen is you're going to have an increase in both acute and residual fatigue that's going to impact your recovery capacity. And we know that we can only rec- or we can only train as hard as we can recover from to adapt to that training and actually get an hypertrophy, uh, hypertrophy outcome from. So I think we should always be training close to failure to provide ourselves with essentially a challenging stimulus. Um, but I don't think every set of every single exercise, every session should be taken to the house and to complete failure. And I do believe that most of us should train to failure at some point within a mesocycle. And generally what I do personally is I'll spend my last couple of weeks of training, you know, training cycle at zero reps in reserve. And I have many clients do that. I've had Jeremiah do multiple weeks at zero reps in reserve. However, it's not like I'm going to start right after a deload with him training every single set, every single exercise, especially like compound movements, things of that sort to failure. And I think that their findings, yes, it did show a relationship, a dose-response relationship between, you know, hypertrophy and failure training or getting closer to failure. But it's the same thing when we look at like the misinterpretations of the Schoenfeld study, where it was 10 to 20 sets and everyone said, oh, you have to do 20 sets to maximize muscle growth. Like that was a misinterpretation of that study. We have to think about the individual that we're working with, their training history, their recovery capacity, their stress levels, their nutritional status. Are you in a deficit? Are you at, at maintenance? Are you in a surplus? There are so many other considerations that when we take an abstract and we just look at the conclusion and we take that and we apply it to every single person, it's just an injustice to not only the re- like the work that those researchers did, but like us as coaches. Because if it was that easy, no one would need a coach. They would just go to every single meta-analysis or in this case, meta-regression. They would look at the conclusions, they would apply it to themselves and we get results. However, I I can't tell you how many people have come to me who train every single set to failure. And it's actually hindered their progress because they've impaired their recovery capacity. They're over, they're overreached essentially. They're in a state of relative energy deficiency because they're dieting and training at failure. They have a bunch of hormonal adaptations or down regulations and hormonal productions. They have high cortisol, they have adrenal issues. So we have to realize that it's really specific to the clientele that we're working with and the, the person. I understand that social media, a lot of times what uh generates the most clicks and likes and interaction is the sexy like simple story. But really when it comes down to it, like we need to get to the simple side of complexity because a lot of these topics are extremely nuanced, which is why we have so many studies coming out on this. Like if you think about it, I think, um, Jeff, I know that you've had him on Martin Ruffalo just did, uh, you know, out of Australia, just did a meta-analysis on training to failure. Uh, Vieira has done a uh, meta-analysis on training to failure within the last two weeks, uh, two years. Schoenfeld and Gergic has done a meta-analysis on training to failure. Like all within the last two years, we've had four meta-analysis on this topic. If it wasn't something that required a lot of nuance, a lot of investigation, and a lot of thought and a lot of critical thinking behind it, we wouldn't have as much research digging into it. So I really caution people to take and to just look at an abstract. Like I looked at all the studies in this this actual meta regression, you know, that was available in terms of of the preprint. And it really takes, you know, a scientific eye and mind to be able to comb through this research and really be able to pull apart what the abstract and what the conclusions you're trying to find, the methods that they utilize, and also the fact that this is estimated reps in reserve. So this isn't exact. So they did see a dose response and you see that in the graph. However, we don't know, you know, I'm I'm not doubting their ability to gauge this. However, it's not a perfect science is what I'm trying to get across. And really what it should reinforce to people is that you should be training hard and you should be pushing yourself. And that in order to know what three, two, one reps and reserve in, you need to take, take it to the house. You need to take it to the failure. However, to take it to the other side of the extreme, there are people in one camp, which will say, you never got to train to failure. It's not advantageous for hypertrophy. But then at the same time, now with this study, you know, a lot of the last three meta-analysis, everyone has claimed, you know, training to failure has no benefits. And I think that's a mis-extrapolation. But now with this one, it's like, you have to train to failure. And it's like, guys, oftentimes the truth lies in the middle. I think too, like with, with the training to failure stuff too, is it's, you know, you want to be careful with saying don't train to failure because then people, you know, keep a ton in the tank and then they're not training hard enough. So it's like, you have to take that in consideration, but kind of like you said too, uh, talking to Martin, you know, he, he went like, he, he did that meta analysis on training to failure. And like, you know, one of the things he talked about and he really wanted to hit home on was the importance of like, okay, what does that even mean? Right. And, and that's, that's the tough part is like, people don't, some people think they, they know what their, their failure, like, you know, people hear two RER and they think that that's like easy training, but that still is relatively hard. You know, people are probably closer to their two RER when they train than their one or zero. Right. So, you know, I think that's where it can be, it can be really tough to, to figure this stuff out with, uh, you know, with the research, because like you said, it just, it's not an exact science. It is almost up for interpretation in terms of what, what it actually is. So I think getting clear on that is, is, is super important and in, in diving into that more. Um, but I do think that it's beneficial to, 
at least push it to that point at least every once in a while. I feel like if you never get there, you know, you're 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 going to be missing out because I think too many people leave too much in the tank and so by saying that, you know, it's it's just making it worse and then you know, then people aren't training hard enough. But also again, I think it really depends on you know, your exercise selection, like you said, what, what your energy balance is, like, that's going to play a role, what your sleep is. Like, there's just so many things that, that go into it, you know, that we, we have to consider there with it. But, um, cause I was in, I was under that camp too, for a while of like, Oh, don't, don't ever train to failure. And then as I started to get more experience and learn more, it's just like, okay, that probably wasn't the greatest advice, you know, uh, for people. So, um, just kind of my thoughts on it, Jerry, I'll hand it over to you, man. Yeah. I don't have too much more to add. I've, it's been surprising to me that so many people have like presented it as such a groundbreaking idea. Like, you know, it's, I thought, I thought it was kind of what everyone already thought, like, Hey, the closer we push to failure, the greater the stimulus will be. Um, but it's similar to like, like saying like, Hey, the faster you drive, the faster you'll get to your end and destination. Right. But there's also a reason we don't just like go hundred miles per hour everywhere. Right. There's a time and a place for it. Um, I was listening, speaking of Brian Borstein, once again, I was listening to their podcast, breaking this down. And I thought a good point he made that I think is a common misconception about this within the last couple of years is like, it was known that, um, well, yes, like we don't have to train to failure all the time. Also, if we're training further from failure, we're probably going to need to do more volume to get a similar response. And I think that a lot of times with the, like, you don't need to train into failure camp. That was also something that was forgotten. But yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything else to add to it. It's been interesting that it's been such a big deal to me, honestly. One one other thing I wanted to add about the the trained failure, Jerry. That was a, a good point you brought up there. It's like the more you, the more you do, you know, the or the further away from failure you are, the more you have to do. But I feel like also the more volume you do, it's like it's tough to get there. So people kind of get themselves in this trap of just feeling like they need to do more and more. Um, but it's really, you know, they're, they're focused in that set. Um, but also one thing too, that, you know, I think we need it because I've had like AJ Morris on my podcast and I've talked to him about this, you know, he's kind of in that, that camp of like, they train like super intense and stuff like that. And like, you also kind of have to consider the person that you're programming far too. It's like, what do they like? You know, I think that's super important because like if, if for them going to failure and like that super intense set is super fatiguing, they hate it. They don't want to go to the gym. It's like, well, that's probably not great for them. Right. Knowing that, Hey, we still need to push it. But, um, I think, I think that aspect of it, like that mental fatigue, I think it's underrated and you do need to consider that um, as well too, when, when thinking about this. hundred percent, you know, we have to consider the fact that there is not only a relationship between a bi-directional relationship between training volume and training intensity or relative intensity, but also there's an inflection point. So you can't just drive up, you know, volume through the roof and do a high volume program and a maximum intensity or a failure training program. You know, if you're going to do most of your sets at zero reps in reserve or two to failure, you're going to want to utilize a lower volume program. And after we actually look at this meta regression, which does point in the direction of training to failure being more conducive to hypertrophy, most of the studies utilized or looked at in this meta regression were between weekly volumes per muscle group of four to 12 sets per week. So we would consider that low to moderate volumes. And so if we were to take higher volume studies, which are from 10 to 20 sets per week, it might have looked different. It might, the point in which we saw uh, greater returns may have been more of that zero or that one to two potentially, we don't know, we don't have enough studies on that. But also at the same time, you know, oftentimes, I I think we look at this through different, um, you know, different classes, essentially, or different constructs or perspectives. And oftentimes, I have to hit on the fact that you can get gains without training exactly to failure, because I came from a bodybuilding background. So my first few years was training with hardcore bodybuilders or just training competitors who literally would break themselves training. And every single set had to be to failure, even at a deficit, even when they had very low energy availability. I still have, you know, many clients that come to me that have been essentially like ravaged by previous contest preps. They have hormone issues. They have gut issues. They have so many things that I need to, you know, as a coach, we only have certain, we have to control what's in our control. And so within that, when I'm trying to offload the allostatic stress on their system, so that total stress bucket, what really is under my control or really I'm able to influence most is their nutrition as well as their training, their supplementation. But there's factors outside of their life. I can't control, you know, how hectic their schedule is with their kids or their work or their boss being a dick. Like I can't control those things, but I can control certain parameters within the programming, especially from a training and nutrition perspective. And so oftentimes, you know, 
I, I've never, you know, come out and said, you don't have to train a failure or you do have to train a failure. But I will say that I think it's really important to highlight both because I will say that with most of my bodybuilders, I have to remind them that we're not going to take every single set to failure. Whereas with my lifestyle clients, I actually reinforce the, the zero reps and reserve weeks more than anything else, because I know that they're, and I want to categorize this. It's just based off my experience. It's based off the training videos that I've been, you know, I've received as well as the clientele that I've worked with, that they're more likely to leave more in the tank. They don't come from an athletic background for most of them, or they haven't really trained or really known what training hard was. They never had a training partner that just buried them. They've never been in situations where they've had their back against the wall and really gotten into a situation in a set where it was like live or die. It's like, you know, I remember I did DC training at one point and I was brought through it by someone who was trained directly by Dante. And I remember him doing a, a intensity technique called, called the Widowmaker, which is a 20 rep set in which it's almost like micro sets. So it is kind of like a rest pause style set, but you only utilize like little breaks in between. It's almost like um, Dr. Scott Stevenson has something called a muscle round, but a Widowmaker is essentially the concept. Like when he explained it to me, I remember being on the phone with him. This was back in the day coaching. This is like 2014 or 2015. He told me, you should be going at this set with the mentality, both physically and mentally, as though you're going to leave your partner as a widow. Like you're going to die on this set. And if you had a gun held up to your, your head and you had to get one more rep or you had to get five more reps to be able to save your family, would you do it? And so that mentality, a lot of people don't have that. You know, I mean, like they, they've never been through those situations. They've never dug deep. So with those individuals, when you see their psychological profile or their proclivities or their preferences, sometimes you have to push them outside their comfort zone. And as a coach, you have to know when to push an individual and also when to pull them back. So often with advanced trainees, like Jeremiah will tell you, during his building phase, I pushed him past the limits that he even thought that I was going to push him. But during his his uh, fat loss phase, when we we're getting extremely lean, more times than not, I was pulling back on the reins and saying, listen, let's do less. Like We have to make sure that your stress is managed. Like So really, as a coach, our role is not to ever do something black or white. It is based on the individual. So within this study, it really has reinforced a lot of the thoughts that I've had, but also the same thing is that there is no black and white prescription, no training program and extremely into research, but no training study is going to tell you how to train on a Friday, which is tomorrow. No training programs going to tell us how to train our clients. It's going to give us, essentially, it's like a map. It gives us, you know, or, or a GPS. It gives us a, a direction to head in, but we are the navigators at the end of the day. And we're the ones that need to make the decisions based on who we're working with or our own programming and what we know our body to respond best to you based on our lifestyle or nutritional status, the movements that we're utilizing, our recovery capacity, the stress uh, stressors that we have in our life, and a whole other multitude of factors. And I think I think that all comes, you know, obviously with experience and and, and doing it uh, for long periods of time. You know, you learn that stuff uh, over time. And Jerry, you kind of had a you you had a post on this, I think, the other day about like to go back to you know, I think too many people stay too far away from failure all the time. But like you get, you kind of get to that point to where I feel like those last couple of weeks of a training phase, that's where like, you really got to get uncomfortable. You really got to push yourself. And if you're not doing that, it's like, that's where, you know, that's where you really make that progress long-term and too many people, like you said, are changing their program at that time. They're not sticking with it. They're not pushing themselves. Um, and I think that that, I, I love that post. I thought that was great. So I just wanted to um, point that out. So any other thoughts on, on this topic guys? Cool. All right, let's go to the next one. So, uh, Jared, this one came from you. So, how do you strike a balance between me and the client where they're at versus holding them to a higher standard? Yeah, um, I think this is a great conversation. And I think, like everything else, there's not a black and white answer. It is very dependent on the client. I also think, though, as coaches, it's important to remember, like, it's so easy to go into the coaching with the mindset that, like, I don't want my clients to dislike me. But also, it's so important to remember that, it, like, people... And I know for me, like, I very much want people to like me. Um, like, I want to be Brandon's best client. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's whether I'm or as someone who's my, who's my client, I want like my peers, my mentors to be impressed by me. And I want to be liked, right? So that's something that's been a challenge for me in the past. But it's also been like realizing that's, well, I love all my clients and I care about them. Oftentimes, if you're just like telling someone what they want to hear, you're doing them a disservice, right? Like, um, again, like to bring it back to like Brandon, our work together, I remember on the mentorship one time you like, and this was a couple of years ago, but you like called me out for like saying something on social media. And I was like, that's, that was a super uncomfortable, like 20 minutes we just had, but I really appreciate the fact that he did that because if he didn't care, it would just be like, man, I'm going to avoid that hard, uncomfortable conversation. But like the fact that they're having those conversations with you is because they want you to grow. And I think that's so important to remember with our clients as well. Like if it's just like, 
I don't want to say something that could potentially like make this person upset. Um, again, like I think we're walking the line. You don't necessarily have to be a dick about it, but at the same time, making like remembering that 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 is your role and you're doing your people a disservice if you're not like, hey, this is the, the goals you set. Here's the standard you need to set for yourself in order to achieve these things, right? Is this still what you want or do we need to adjust your goals, right? On the same token, I think it's easy to like get in this place where we're setting our goals for our clients and we're like pushing them to do things that they don't necessarily want to do just so we could like get a better progress picture from them or something like that. And that's not making their lives better, which ultimately we're here for. But again, I think a lot of people hire a coach because they want to be held to a higher standard. They want more out of themselves than they've been able to achieve on their own. And like, clearly like if you're hiring a coach in that position like having a bunch of friends around you who like always tell you things you want to hear probably hasn't helped get you there so far right so similarly like this is something i remind my client of clients of a lot i've had so many conversations like this just in the last couple of days especially with like coaches that i coach it's pretty common to like come on board and it's like hey can we basically change the program back to exactly what i was doing before right and i'll, I'll have the conversation like hey do you want me to coach you I know you came in because you saw like this person and this person's results. Do you want me to coach you how I coach the people who get the best possible results? Or do you want me to coach you like you coach yourself, right? Because these are different things here. So I think there's like, again, like a lot of conversations around that. Um, what was the, remind me of the question again. Will you refer, say that again? Yeah, yeah. How do you strike a balance between meeting the client, client where they're at versus holding them to a higher standard? Yeah, I think that's the biggest. But I mean, I think it's also just important to be always clear and always revisiting where do you want to go? What do you want out of this? Right. Because that's kind of your North Star. Making sure from there, like that's something I'm always revisiting with clients. Like every couple months, like, hey, where are we going in the next six months? Not what do I want for you, but what do you want? Okay, here's what it's going to take to get there. Are you clear on that? And then from there, that's like always the standard that you're holding them to. And you can remind them, like, hey, and I'll often like have clients like, hey, write out for me in detail. And it's funny, Brandon, again, I know we've done very similar things, but write out for me in detail, like the person you want to be in six months, like how do they act? And then from there, it's again, like, okay, so I want you to understand this is the standard I'm going to hold you to going forward. And I think if you approach it like that, it's like, I still have to remind clients like, hey, I'm doing this from a place of like, I actually care about you. Whereas if I didn't care, I just wanted your money. I would just avoid this hard conversation because I hate conflict, but I'm doing this because I care. That's how I approach it. I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts. Yeah. So uh, this is honestly, I love this topic first and foremost, because I think that you and I have had this conversation so many times, Jeremiah, just in our own personal coaching relationship. But I think it's really important to differentiate what a coach is and what a coach isn't. So a coach is a leader, coach is a mentor, it's a guide, it's a friend, it's a confidant, but also it's not a yes man. So what I mean by that is really when I look at programming. So I'll just take you guys kind of through my process. When a client comes to me, I, I conduct a needs analysis and it's very in-depth based off a whole load of physiological, psychological, mental questions. Like I want to know their goals, but in multiple parameters, we're always setting multiple goals. So I want to know, like, for instance, I, I just sent this over to Jeremiah. Like, I want to know your physique goals. But in addition to that, I want to know your personal goals. I want to know your business goals. Like I want to know what you're trying to do with your profession, your career, what's driving you forward. I want to know about your relationship. Like what goals do you have you know, in, in Jeremiah's instance, it's Katie, but like I had these conversations with all my clients. I want to know your process oriented goals. So what things within our last phase could you have done better? Could it have been steps? Could it have been tracking? Could it have been sleep, stress management, or any of the concepts that we went over? I also want to know some health parameter goals, especially with my functional clients. So when I, I do functional nutrition with many clients that have, you know, certain issues that they come to me with, I want to know certain health parameters that you want to improve. I also want to know performance metrics because oftentimes, Times I get individuals who come from a chronic dieting background. So they come to me and they want body composition improvement, but their body's not in a healthy spot to respond to that. So now I need to teach them. I need to reshift not only their approach physically to the body composition process, but also shift their mindset in terms of what we're going after. We're no longer only chasing scale weight. We're no longer only looking at aesthetics. I want you to instead stop focusing on the things you don't like about your body visually and start focusing on how you want your body feeling, how you want your body performing. And so within that, when I do that, you know, I have all that information come through in a console and I go through a needs analysis. I lay out to a client essentially what we're going to do in a phase, you know, a phasic program. And so within that, 
I always try to strike a balance between what a client wants in terms of their goals, their needs, their preferences, all those type of things, but also what they need. And oftentimes it is me being very brutally honest with someone and saying, listen, I understand that you want fat loss, but your body, your mentality, your relationship with food does not warrant that now. It's not that this is completely off the table, but I have to do right by you as a coach and as a leader to lead you in the right right direction and set you up for success. Another thing that I'm huge with is I actually just had this conversation with a long time uh, term client that I'll go through with, but really what it comes down to is we have to realize that our standard for ourselves is not the standard we set upon our clients. And I'm very intentional about that. And I always say, I am here to lead from the front and to walk the walk and talk the talk and, and to be a great example and role model for my clients. But the standard that I hold myself to, I would never expect others to. However, at the same time, just like I'm not going to impress my beliefs, my standards of myself on Jeremiah, I also would never ask a client to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do. So it's a multi-pronged equation. It's bi-directional. And within that, for instance, I had a client conversation. I actually just celebrated one year with one of my clients, Jason. So shout out to him. Uh, he will be listening to this because he listens to all the podcasts that I put out. And so really what it came down to was he came to me last one year ago, yesterday at 210 pounds at the leanest he had ever been. He had been overweight most of his life. And he really was focused on finally maintaining weight loss. And so I put him through a primer phase. And then we went through, uh, I think a three month primer phase, a three month maintenance phase. And then we did a fat loss phase. He actually lost 12% of his body weight. And right now we are four months post diet and he's currently maintaining 185 pounds. This is the lightest he's ever been in his adult life. He's in his mid thirties. And right now we had this conversation for his next phase because we just finished out. This is the final week of this current phase. And what I had to get across him, he asked me what I did on my birthday, because this past week was my birthday. And he wanted to know, how do I approach these family events, these occasions and different things? And I had to tell him, listen, Jason, recently you were in a fat loss phase. A couple of months ago, you were in a fat loss phase. So the standard that I held you for that based on your goals and based on the requirements needed to get to that goal that you, you set on the outset, since you came to me, you wanted to get leaner and maintain that. Those goals for 185 pounds are different than maintenance now. So for instance, this past week, he has a huge event. His his best friend just had a baby and in his religion, it's a huge celebratory uh, time when a baby is born. The first Friday, he's from the Jewish religion. The first Friday of the baby's life, they have a huge celebration. And then also he's flying out for a conference and he actually just acquired a new business. He's you know acquired a, a huge business. He's had a whole bunch of stress. So I told him, listen, this next phase the standard that I hold yourself to and the the way that I approach coaching is going to evolve just like the way that we approach eating out or that we approach your diet or your tracking. All these things have to evolve over time. So the standards that I set upon you and that you set for yourself for your fat loss phase cannot apply now because now we're in maintenance. Now we have to more have more of an abundance mindset. And so we have to always be willing to raise the standard to the level that it's needed, but not make it so high where it's like, I would never impress my standards that I put upon my clients that are competitors upon a lifestyle client. That's just, that's an injustice first and foremost, and it's not needed. And so we really have to meet clients where they're at in terms of where are they at priority wise? What is their goal? Also, we have to realize that the standard that we hold a client at in certain aspects or certain phases are going to differ. So for instance, with Jeremiah, when he did a fat loss phase for, for a photo shoot, there was a very high standard press. When we went into a reverse diet and we did actually a, re a recovery diet, his main, you know, I, we went through his goals, his personal goal, his number one goal was his relationship. His number two goal was building his business. And number three was physique. And I want to really make this clear. It wasn't that his physique was on the back burner. It just wasn't his top priority. So many times I was saying, listen, Jeremiah, we're going to incorporate a flexible high day in here, or we're, I want you to, you know, have a weekend off. Or when he went on his, his, um, vacation right after his photo shoot, I gave him a huge calorie budget because I wanted him to enjoy those times because the standard at which we had in the fat loss phase could no longer apply to that recovery phase or to you know the building phase that we had and so on and so forth. And so we have to realize that our standards have to be flexible. We need to be a chameleon as a coach and be able to mold our our approach, not only to the individual's clients that we're working with, but as those clients evolve, they need to change. And so really the best way that I've found to do this is really take it on a face-by-face -face basis. So another example of this, I have Anthony Scalza, who's an IFBB pro. Guy's been shredded out of his mind. I've had him at 4% body fat, but this is the first year that he's decided to prioritize business and he's no longer competing. So this fat loss phase, every single week, I have to remind him, you're making tons of progress. It's just not the rate of progress you're used to seeing. And we're right on schedule. I want your training performance prioritized. I want your energy levels prioritized. I don't want you suffering from low energy and fatigue and lack of 
cognition like you would in a prep because we had a set deadline. We had a stage date, which you signed a contract and you were fined multiple thousands of dollars if you didn't get on stage on that date. Now we don't have a deadline. So let's take this slow. Let's just keep going. You're making great progress. You just can't be comparing yourself to who you were last year during prep or who you were two years ago when we got on stage. And at the same time, I can't impress those same standards or beliefs upon him. And so every week I remind myself, just like I remind him, listen, this is a different Anthony. This is a different stage in his career, his life, and also in his physique pursuit. So it's really about molding ourselves and really valuing and prioritizing what's the best move for the client that we're working with. Yeah, no, those are, you guys bring up good points on, on all that. I like the, you know, asking them like, what's your, like, what's most important to you, right? Because I think a lot of times people forget that, like, you can't just have everything. Like, there's just, there's only so, like, we, we you talk about allostatic static load, where it's just like, you just have so much, you, you know, we all have this bucket, we can't just do everything, right? And so I think it is important to break down what is most important to you. Um, and, and keeping that, uh, is the top priority. Like for, for example, for myself, you know, Jared, when we did the the last photo shoot, I was like, Hey, I want to get lean, but I'm not trying to get like super, super shredded. You know, like I, it's important yeah. to me, but I also don't want to get like as lean as I got for like my bodybuilding shows. Right. And so we knew that like, that was a trade-off that I was willing to make. Uh, and then even for like this, this cut, same thing. It's like, I'm not trying to get super shredded. I just want to get some body fat off. Right. So the approach to that's going to be a lot different than what it would be if I'm trying to get shredded or I'm trying to do it by a certain time. A couple other things that I like to do uh, with this, um, and, and again, like Jared, this trade-off aspect of it was something you kind of like, I picked up a lot from you working with you, you know, just like telling them the trade-offs. It's like, okay, hey, that's fine. You want to do this. You know, here's a trade-off of doing this, right? And I think that telling them that is helpful because then you're not just like barking orders of like, this is what we're doing. It's like, you can do this, but here's a potential trade-off of you doing that, right? Here's what could happen, um, you know, and, and just giving them that the option. So then that way, I think it gives them that that choice to be like, okay, hey, you know what? I want to go this route or I want to stick with with what we're doing. And I think given, given clients that choice, I think really helps them like be like they they feel like they're more part of the process and and they're making those decisions and I feel like that helps them long term but it also it's not just you just barking orders um at them and also too like so for example I, I have a client right now he's 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 in a fat loss phase so like you said Brandon it just really depends on like the phase of like nutrition you're in what your current goal is uh that's really going to make a big difference here and I have a client who he, you know, we were in more of like, he, he was a newer client. So we were more of like a body recomp and now, you know, now we're more in like a, a fat loss phase. So the deficit's hot, uh, larger, right? Well, for him now, this is kind of, uh, lining up with the beginning of summer. So like his challenge is like, now he wants to go to the pool. He wants to drink, like he wants to have drinks. And it's like, you know, I, I just told him like, Hey, is the, you know, maybe this just isn't the best time for you to fat loss diet, right? Like almost just tell him that like, you don't have to do this, you know, right now, like there's going to be other times that you're going to be able to, to fat loss diet. Um, you know, maybe this just isn't the right time and there's going to be other ways that you can make progress. It's not just like, Oh, Hey, it's either fat loss or there's no progress. It's like, there's other things that we can uh, progress during this period of time. And, you know, maybe this just isn't the right time, but it's, but you know, he comes back, he's like, no, this is, this is what I want to do. I just know I need to make better decisions. And I feel like now he's like more on board with, with doing that rather than me being like, come on, dude, this is a fat loss phase. You know, what are you doing? This is what you have to do. Um, and I think for this particular client, like the important thing was like moving forward. Now, you know, that this probably isn't going to be the best time for you to run a fat loss phase, right? Like moving forward, you might want to, you know, put this fat loss phase in like a less busier time or a time when you're not tempted to want to be at the pool or whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that. Um, I think it's, that's basically the art of coaching. I feel like, right. As you guys know, it's like, just meet, you know, it, it again, it's, it's striking that balance between where the client's at and, and but also holding them to a higher standard too. Cause it's also not going to be easy. You know, I don't want it to just, but people think that it's just like, Oh, Hey, you get to decide what you want to do. Cause then like you said, Jeremiah, it's like, why did you hire me as a coach? And like, we're still going to push you, but it's also not us just like barking orders at you either. So, um, do we got time for, for one more question? Let's do it. Cool. Let's go. I, I like this one here, uh, Brandon, you got this one. So tips for improving sleep. I don't think, or actually let's, let's do this. I think this is a good one. Cause I think it's more for us. And so I think this is a good one for us to kind of, we always kind of leave off on like what we do or like a specific question just for us. So how do we get amped up before training? I think that's a good one to, to leave off of today. All right. Who wants to start off? You got it. 
All right. So um, in terms of getting amped up, you know, I train very early in the morning. So uh, this is something that I needed to get into a routine, especially when I transitioned my my uh, training schedule as well as my entire life schedule. So as these two know, I'm up at like 3 a.m. I'm generally in the gym by 5 or 6 a.m. So it's quite early, you know, um, and it's, you know, not a time in which there's a lot of people around me. And so within that, a lot of times you could vibe off of or you could get amped off of the atmosphere, the environment that you're in. So really what I, I look towards are two different things. And it's basically, you know, supplements and then also music. And so the one thing that I do to get amped up before training is use specific supplementation, which includes stimulants uh, like caffeine. And then I also use nootropics uh, quite frequently, especially alpha GPC. And what I like to do is I periodize my use of stimulants. Uh, so I'll use lower intakes of caffeine at the start of the mesocycle, and then I'll titrate up, especially as I get towards the end of the mesocycle, when I'm starting to train to failure, I'm hitting zero reps and reserve sets, I'm doing length and partials, and I'm really taking into the house essentially. And I actually do the same things in terms of my stimulant use during a fat loss phase, where in the beginning of a fat loss phase, I try to honestly minimize my caffeine intake as much as possible. And what I like to do is as I get deeper and deeper into the diet and I get not only at lower calories, but at less body fat, I'll increase my caffeine intake or my stimulant intake to try to offset some of the reductions in energy that I feel. And then besides that, another thing that I like to utilize is music to, to try to get me amped up. But I actually periodize this as well. So uh, usually what I'll do is when I get into the gym and I'm warming up, I'll usually listen to some type of podcast or something calming. And then I'll actually do the same thing during my earlier sets or during my warm up sets. And I, and then in terms of music, I'll reserve certain songs for either my top sets or for deeper into the mesocycle. So I'll actually periodize the type of music that I utilize. And even I'll periodize the volume in which I, I use music. So I've, I've kind of had this whole thing kind of like systematized in terms of how it works best for me. So during the end of a mesocycle where I'm really pushing myself and I know that like I need every single last bit of juice is what I'm going to use highest caffeine intakes. I'm going to use high volume music and I'm going to utilize certain songs that are on a playlist that really get me amped up. Whereas earlier in the mesocycle, when I don't need, you know, I'm training two to three reps in reserve or I'm utilizing lower volumes or, you know, it's just not as a grueling session. You know, if I'm doing, a, you know, a delta arm day as compared to a leg day, I'm going to utilize different stimuli, both in terms of the actual stimulants, as well as the music that I, I do. And, you know, there's certain top set songs that I'll only utilize on a leg day. And also another thing that I don't do is I don't listen to music in between sets. I usually, usually listen to a podcast just to try to, I, I kind of have noticed and I have realized this through looking at my resting heart rate tracking. I look at my aura ring and kind of like my ability to get my, my heart rate down. Oftentimes, if I listen to engaging or stimulating music, the entire session, my heart rate stays elevated for a longer period of time. And so I try to get myself in a parasympathetic state in between. I'll go walk in between sets and just try to more turn on that parasympathetic nervous system. And then once I'm ready to get back into a set, the song goes on right before I start to set. And then I go to work. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I honestly don't do hard to like try to amp myself <laughs> up before training. I will normally have 100 to 200 milligrams of caffeine. Um, I don't train as early as Brandon, but I'll normally start training by six or seven. Sometimes it'll be a little bit earlier than that. Just training in my garage by myself. Um, I most days will either go on a walk or journal. And just part of that will just be like me reflecting on myself as like, who do I want? Who, like, where do I am going? Why am I doing what I'm doing today? And then really for me, it always just kind of comes back to like, I don't try to find a lot of deeper meaning in it. Like for business, when I've tried to like find like, this is a grand vision of where we're going in like five, 10 years, doesn't really motivate me as much as just like, I know I feel so much better. And man, I want to end my days as like reflecting on the day is like, I, I push myself very hard today. Same thing applies to my training. So, I mean, honestly, for <laughs> that's kind of a lame answer, but I normally will listen to like peaceful meditation playlist or else a podcast. I'll sometimes listen to Taylor Swift. I do love Taylor Swift. <laughs> I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, I feel like I did. That's honestly, that's honestly it for me. Jeff, maybe you'll have a better answer there. That's, that's hilarious. Literally the opposite of probably what people thought, but honestly, man, I, I'm with you. Like I really don't do much. I remember when I was younger, it was all about like just getting freaking amped up for the workout down in pre-workout and just like trying to get as pumped up as I could. Like, let's, but then like start to learn more. And it's like, probably went a little bit overboard and that probably wasn't great for, for my training. So like, for me, it's, it's basically the same thing. Like I used to always listen to music. Um, 
but now I've switched to more like podcasts. Like I listen to my hockey podcast, like just like news kind of like, just like podcasts that I don't need to like get super into. Like, I don't want to listen to like a training or nutrition podcast. Cause it's like, I don't want to have to like think super hard. So I like to listen to like hockey podcasts, just staying up to date on the news uh, like that. Like Brandon said, you know, using music uh, in like a way where it's, you know, maybe towards the end of a session, maybe towards the end of a, a training cycle. Um, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to this though. Best ways I get amped up is a good night's sleep the night before, making sure I get, I, I hit my sleep, you know, making sure that's there because that, I mean, that is important, right? Like I think we could get away with sessions here, there with not great sleep, but if you're not ever getting good sleep, I feel like that is going to negatively impact your training performance. So, you know, start to think a little bit further away from the training maybe and, and see there. And then the other, the other thing that I do is have a nice pre-workout meal about an hour and a half beforehand, some bagels, Greek yogurt. That's good enough to get me ready to go. Um, and then I do like Legion's, uh, stem free pre-workout just because I have, I train at like 2 PM, 2 to 3 PM. And so like I have caffeine usually up until 12 or one. So it's like, I don't want to add a like pre-workout on top of that. Cause man, I've, I've overdone the pre-workouts. I've overdone the caffeine and it just doesn't leave me feeling good. I'm just super like jittery at night and like anxieties through the roof. I'm like, what the hell's going on? But it's like, Oh wait, you had like a thousand milligrams of caffeine. No wonder that's, that's how you are. And I'm already kind of a uh, like jittery type of person in, in general. Uh, and so like that just adds to it. So, uh, I like, I like a stem free pre-workout. It gives me that nice little like uh taste beforehand and, and, and it sorts of, it sort of like gets me in the zone for, for working out. So that's, that's what I like to do there. Um, again, nothing crazy, but I feel like as you guys know, the longer we do this, it's like, it's not about like getting super amped up for every single workout. It's about going in, you know, obviously pushing yourself, not saying you just go in and don't do anything, but you know, pushing yourself, but not overdoing it every single time, you know, thinking, thinking long-term with it, just going in, checking the boxes, setting those PR sparingly, but not every single session. So that's what I like to do uh, there with that. Cool. Any, uh, I know, Jerry, you said you had to leave it the, 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 uh, at 10 after, right? I think Brandon does. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got to go in. Oh, I got to call in five minutes. Cool. Any, anything coming up on your guys in that you want to, uh, tell the audience about or anything like that? I'm good. Good. Yeah, everything's good on my end. Uh, always a pleasure, guys. And um, audience out there, if you guys want to hear this, be more often, get on top of us, throw us some questions, and we'll make sure to bring it back monthly because uh, we always have a great time speaking with each other. And as long as you guys get value out of it, we're always willing to do it. Yeah, yep. I think that's the most questions we've gotten through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we specifically were like, hey, we got to we got to wrap up the beginning part like twenty minutes in. So I think we did a good job there. Um, cool guys, yeah. As always, love chatting with you guys. Um, and we'll do it again soon. We'll talk to you guys soon.